I'd hope that people could sort of do the right thing with this. But I think the reality is there will be a portion of the population, however big it is, that see it as an opportunity to push the boundaries and get as much as I can, then I'm going to take that opportunity. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to a new update about the COVID-19 stimulus packages, this time focusing on the cash boost, the cash boost included in the latest federal COVID-19 stimulus bill. And this cash boost is the one probably getting the most airtime of all the measures. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. In the last update, which went live last Friday, the 27th of March, Bob Deutsch, Senior Tax Counsel of the Tax Institute, Bob Deutsch spoke about the different measures of the federal stimulus package and He already spoke at length about the mechanics of the cash boost. If you haven't listened to that update, please do. It puts this update into a better context. In this episode today, Andrew Henshaw of Velocity Legal will drill deeper into certain aspects of the cash boost, which are very important, and I urge you to listen today. Just to quickly recap the mechanics of the cash boost, there are two periods, and I'm calling them waves for now for lack of a better word. The first wave is from the 1st of January to the 30th of June 2020. The second wave is from the 1st of June 2020 to the 30th of September. So the month of June is actually in both waves. Now, we need to distinguish between monthly and quarterly withholders of pay-as-you-go withholding. As you know, anybody who withholds more than 25000 per year needs to lodge and pay the pay-as-you-go withholding monthly. Everybody else does this quarterly. If you are a monthly withholder, then your pay-as-you-go withholding for March is crucial Because you get that amount three times, it doesn't matter what you withhold in January or February, you get your March pay-as-you-go withholding three times. And then you also get the pay-as-you-go withholding for April, May and June capped at 50,000. That is the first wave. And then you get exactly of whatever cash boost you received from March to June, what I call the first wave, you receive exactly that amount again. So if you receive a cash boost of 50,000 for March to June, you receive exactly the same amount again, 50,000, broken down in four payments, paid out monthly from June to September. So in total, you receive up to 100,000. If you are a quarterly withholder, then you just add up your pay as you go withholding for the third and fourth best, so for the March and June quarter of 2020, and that is your first cash boost again capped at 50,000 and then you also receive the same amount again so up to 100,000 in total per business. So these are the mechanics of the cash boost Bob Deutsch explained in the last update. But now let's drill deeper and look at what happens if a business only just now after the 12th of March registered for pay-as-you-go withholding. Have they missed the boat? What happens when a business runs through several entities Are there any grouping provisions? And what happens to sole traders and partnerships? Do they receive anything or do they go empty? These are just some of the questions Andrew Henshaw will answer for you. This interview was recorded on Friday afternoon, 27th of March, 2020. 
So to butt in, it is now the 5th of April. So the interview was recorded nine days ago. And back then, there were some misconceptions floating around about the cash boost. So I have gone back and took out anything that doesn't match our current understanding. Some general thought with you about the cash boost. And that is what it actually does. When it first came out, I thought, yes, that is a great incentive for employers to keep their staff, to help them through the tough times and save jobs. But looking at it now, I don't see that at all. I've spoken to two restaurant owners over the last 24 hours. Both let their staff go last week as soon as the lockdown came. Mm. Both will have pay-as-you-go withholding in March of well over 20,000. So they will already have maxed out the 50,000 cap. So they already got their cash boost. Not a single job <laughs> will come back because of yeah. the cash boost. So. I don't see it saving any jobs. It will help the business owner to pay rent, to pay suppliers, etc. But I don't see a single job being saved through this. Yeah, look, I think if, as a general comment, if they wanted to save jobs, it's probably not the best way of doing so. It, it is a massive, massive cash boost for business owners, which if it's not used towards employment-related things, will be used for other things that are very important as well, like um, contracts and rent and things like that. But, but yeah, you're absolutely right. As Bob said as well, if they wanted to sort of help employees, perhaps the 80% wage proposal that the UK has gone down would, would achieve that. Yes, I agree. It's a pity because this cash boost will cost us enormous amount of money. Do you know how much it cost us? I think it's $32 billion. I mean, there's sort of two schools of thought with economics. One is the is the trickle-down economics school of thought where if we support, you know, the people who employ people, then that will trickle down through the business owner to the employees and everyone will be better off. And of course, the other school of thought is more the bottom up, let's assist the people on the bottom and that'll bring everyone up. So it's very much a trickle down type view of things. Grouping provisions. And that is actually taking us back to the restaurants, larger restaurateurs. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce this word. Yeah, yeah. But larger hospitality companies, they have each restaurant sitting in a separate entity to ring fence mm. the risk from one business to another business. So do we have some grouping positions or does it mean that they can claim $100,000 for each company, so for each restaurant they have? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. As you pointed out, businesses that conduct multiple operations will often structure those business operations via separate, separate entities. A common structure would be you would have a holding company in place and multiple subsidiaries each running businesses. So business A could be you know, a restaurant somewhere, business B, another restaurant, and so on and so forth can be applied to other industries as well. And the question really is, well, well what does that mean for the cash flow boost? Is there a difference between a, a ring fence type structure and one where the business owner is just running all of the operations through one entity? And the answer that I can find by going through the legislation and the explanatory memorandum 
is that there is a difference between those two scenarios, or there may be, depending on the circumstances, and that there is no grouping provisions whatsoever in this legislation. So that means if you have 10 companies, it doesn't even have to be one completely separate business from the other. It could just be that, for example, you have one company doing the employment of operating staff and another company doing the employment of support staff or something like that. In those cases, you can claim the cash boost as many times as you have basically companies registered as withholders. That's correct. The only caveats that I'll put on that comment is that when working out eligibility for this cash boost, you do need to either be a small business entity or otherwise have turnover of less than 50 million. There is no grouping again, correct? No, well, that is aggregated turnover. So it's the same concept that applies more broadly through the tax legislation, for example, for claiming small business CGT concessions, for instance. So it would probably not be an issue for many groups because $50 million is it's a, a large figure for, for a sort of SME market. But the turnover threshold is calculated on an aggregated basis. The next comment that I would make is there are some, I guess, black letter rules that are intended to stop people improperly claiming the cash boost. I'll go through those a little bit later. And the other caveat is that there is an avoidance provision in the cash boost legislation, which is designed to essentially discourage or stamp out opportunistic claims and and structures being put in place now or things being done now solely for the purpose of getting a higher cash boost. So that means our example of the restaurateur who runs 10 restaurants, he or she will probably very easily go from all to nothing, meaning that while the turnover is under 50 million, he or she might reap a a million dollars from this, you know, 10 times 100,000 is a million dollars. But once it gets bigger than 50 million, it goes to nil. Yeah, with the threshold, and I know Bob talked about the threshold a little bit in the previous episode, the legislation is that there's sort of two different ways of qualifying for that 50 million turnover threshold. The first is based on the last financial year. So the financial year ending... 2019. Yeah, yeah, 30 June 2019. And that definition really piggybacks off the existing small business entity definition where you either needed to have certain turnover in the 2019 year or the 2018 year. So if those are below 50 million, you'll qualify. There also is a second limb to deal with the situation where essentially businesses may have gone backwards or a long way backwards because of the current economic crisis. And that allows the current year, so the 2020s income to be considered. It requires the commissioner to be satisfied on a reasonable basis that the entity's income is below 50 million. So you could be 2018, you could be 2019, and or you could be 2020. The next question, mm. cutoff. You basically have three scenarios. A company that is registered and comes into existence after the 12th of March. And 12th of March is the date that this cash boost was first announced. So a company that is registered after the 12th of March and then already pays wages for March. Then a company that was registered and started operating long before the 12th of March, but the shareholder 
who runs the business just paid him or herself dividends or maybe didn't make enough profit anyway, but there was no wages coming out of the company at the moment, but still operating. And then the third scenario is, of course, the company and the payers you go withholding registration both existed before the 12th of March. How are these different cutoffs handled? Mm, really good question. And a lot of people are asking this at the moment as well. Broadly, there are two requirements. The first I'll call an existence requirement. And the second I'll call an activity requirement. So the existence requirement, and we're not talking about charities here, we're talking about private businesses. For private businesses, they needed to have an ABN on 12th March 2020. Only an ABN, not a pay-as-you-go withholding registration. Just an ABN. They needed to exist, obviously, to have an ABN. So if you incorporate a company now, that won't qualify. And they needed to have an ABN as at 12th March 2020. So that's the existence requirement. It's not about PAYG, registration, salaries, anything else. It's just whether it had an ABN. The second requirement is the activity requirement. This requirement requires a certain level of activity of the entity that we're talking about. Before the 12th of March? Yes, before the 12th of March. It's a very low bar. What it requires is either the entity had an amount, any amount of assessable income for the 2018 19 income year, so last income year, or the entity made a taxable supply between 1 July 18 and 12th March 2020. In other words, so long as the entity has had at least $1 of taxable supplies or assessable income, and the entity has already notified the tax office of that, in other words, it's either lodged a tax return, income tax return, or a business activity statement, then it will meet the activity threshold. So in other words, all entities that had ABNs that had some level of activity previously should qualify. That requirement really only knocks out completely dormant shelf companies or entities that are inactive. I think this is quite a fair rule. I think it's fair because there are companies who just pay themselves a dividend and no wages or definitely not registered for pays you go withholding. They might pay some wages at the end of the year, which of course all comes to an end now with STP, etc. But I think that's mm. quite fair. But it's also a good anti-avoidance provision because it means that all these dormant shelf companies can't come out of the box now to suddenly start paying wages. Yeah, the important point to take away from that is nothing that you've done after uh, you can't start a business after 12th March 2020. The entity had to either be active to some degree or it doesn't qualify. But I think it's generous that it didn't require a pay-as-you-go withholding registrations before the 12th of March, that it just required existence and activity. Yeah, well, it's an interesting point because the question has been raised, well, you know, a lot of small businesses... 
they often the business owner won't actually they won't actually pay themselves any wage. They may just take dividends or trust distributions, you know, equity type withdrawals of funds. And the question's been raised by many people, well, can we now pay ourselves director's fees or or a wage? Will that qualify? And subject to the anti-avoidance provisions, which we'll come to, there is nothing in legislation that prevents that from being the case. May I just quickly lead you astray to a different aspect, and that is work cover. Work cover really wants to see those people covered by a policy. And when shareholders don't pay themselves a wage like this, it usually also means that they're not covered by work cover. Yeah, that's correct. And and the common reason, uh, other than sort of administrative issues, the common reasons that I hear from clients in not wanting to pay wages are one, work cover premiums. And super. Two, super. Yep. Actually, there's actually three. So, I'll go back on that. Two, super. And three, payroll tax, because they may either push themselves over the payroll tax thresholds, or if they're already over those payroll tax thresholds, then incur additional tax on those payments that wouldn't be subject to payroll tax otherwise. It's a good point. Those three reasons are usually the reasons why a director wouldn't pay themselves a wage. Yeah, but this cash flow boost is a strong incentive to pay incentive wages. to consider paying wages and to continue paying wages because it's quite possible that the next stimulus package, either for coronavirus or a future virus or whatever happens mm. next, there's a high chance that the next stimulus package won't be so generous and look over the missing pay as you go registration, but we'll make that as a prerequisite to get any cash boost. Yeah, quite possibly. That's a really good point. And I think the concept of a once-off wage, just from a policy perspective, doesn't doesn't quite, you know, smell quite right, especially in sort of in these unprecedented times where someone's just just say, okay, I'll put myself on the books for the rest of this financial year and then I'll take myself off. One, it's questionable anyway from whether it qualifies because of the anti-avoidance rule and and two, from a more sort of broad policy perspective, as as Bob talked about previously, I think a real dim view will be taken to sort of that that kind of behavior. The the advice is basically if you start paying yourself a wage now because you should have paid yourself a wage a long time ago, if Mm. you start paying yourself a wage, then continue it because you should be drawing a wage anyway when you work in the company. And also, if you continue paying yourself a wage, then it looks less like an anti-avoidance yeah. measure yeah. and it looks more, then it doesn't look as dodgy as if you just paid yourself a wage for the next four months. Yeah, that's correct. Sorry to butt in. So we covered the required turnover that you have to be below 50 million. We covered existence that the entity must have had an active ABN on the 12th of March and we covered activity. There are actually four more requirements which we will cover in the update that was published on the 6th of April. Please listen to that one as well. I'll come to the to the anti-avoidance point now because yes. it's, it's sort of an elephant in the room. So to go to the anti-avoidance rule, so importantly to note that this is not, the cash boost sits on its own in a separate act. It's not in the tax, the normal income tax assessment act or the GST act or, or any other act. It has its own act. So, like um, SPT. 
Like FPT, yeah, yeah. So, so, so it's got its own anti-avoidance provision as well. It doesn't just piggyback off, off, for instance, Part 4A. It specifically has its own anti-avoidance rule in the legislation. What the rule says, and there's two sort of components to it because it applies to the first boost and, and also to the second boost. So what the anti-avoidance rules in the cash flow boost legislation say is that they're a little bit broader than, for instance, Part 4A in some sense. They say that um, neither the entity nor any associate or agent of the entity has entered into or carried out a scheme with the uh, sole or dominant purpose of either making the entity entitled to the cash flow boost or increasing the amount of the cash flow boost to which the entity is entitled. For example, if you had, let's say you had the restaurateur situation, but all of the salary is coming through one of the entities and the other entities, well, they run businesses, but they don't employ people directly. So building off the first example, well, all each entity would be entitled to the cash flow boost, but it would be dependent on their level of withholding. So what if they said, okay, well, we're going to move around the employees now so that we might've had a PAYG withholding of a million dollars before, we're going to rebalance it around so that um, each entity can, can, can get as much as it can. And something like that is what I think that the anti-avoidance rules are trying to get at. Similarly, the example of the sole director who comes onto the books for the first time, takes a payment and then is off the books later on, it would be hard to argue that that isn't done with the sole or dominant purpose of getting the cash flow boost. You'd have to have, similar to sort of part for a you'd have to have other reasons for doing those things. There may be commercial reasons why it's, why it's a good idea, but it cannot be driven solely by the cash flow boost. The third question is just to reconfirm the role of the month of June, because I think hmm. June is a strange month in terms of that it seems to be part of both waves, if we call them waves. You know, we basically have two periods. We have one from the 1st of March to the 30th of June, and then the second period or second wave is from the 1st of June to the 30th of September. So June features in both. And, and that, of course, is confusing. But I think it's just that the first wave or the first period from the 1st of March to the 30th of June, that is basically to calculate the first payment of the cash boost, whereas the second wave is basically just paying the same amount out again. And hence, you could receive two payments in June, for June. You could receive two payments in June, one from the first wave and one from the second wave. That sums it up quite well. When I first looked at the legislation, I was actually very surprised on how it was drafted and, and it was very much not what I expected. Going through the legislation, things are also complicated by the fact that for business activity statements purposes, some taxpayers are monthly lodgers and some taxpayers are quarterly lodgers. So I'll just stick to quarterly lodgers for now just to make it simple. You're quite right, there's two different payments. The first payment is calculated by reference to your PAYG for essentially this 
half of this financial year. So from 1 January 2020 to 30 June 2020. That's up to a maximum of 50,000. And it's spread across your two quarterly bazes in that scenario. So the one at the end of March and the one at the end of June. May just quickly interrupt you there. For quarterly lodges, yes, we start from the 1st of January, go to the 31st of March, and then from the 1st of April to the 30th of June, we have the two quarterly basses, and then whatever W2 pays you go withholding is there. The total of that is your first wave payment, and then you get the same amount again. But then for the monthly withholders, it's slightly different in terms of that you take the March bass and multiply it with three. So you basically start on the 1st of March and then you go month by month. Yeah, yeah. Just, what they're both trying to do is try to get an approximation of what wages are for the period of 1 January 2020 to 30 June 2020. So what the point that I'm trying to make is that the first payment is calculated other than the, the minimum amounts is calculated by reference to wages. Now, the second payment has absolutely no connection to to wages. It's double-up payment. It looks at what you got paid for the first payment and it essentially gives you that again. So, second wave is really a double-up payment. Do you have any idea why the legislator did it like this? Because of this single fact, it is that the cash boost basically has no effect on jobs. If the second amount was linked in some way to the pay as you go withholding paid, then it might save jobs. But since it doesn't, it has no consequences for whether employees keep their jobs or not. Yeah, and that's the thing I, I sort of struggled with a little bit. This legislation is very new, but from my reading of it, there isn't any sort of requirement to assess what the entity is doing to get the second boost the second wave, if you will. It's very much tied solely to those to those things that we talked about earlier in terms of existence, previous activity, and PAYG for this side of the of this financial year. I suppose the only counter to that and sort of the other point of view is that how this is designed is it's sort of a light at the end of the tunnel type thing. If employers are aware of this, and, and that's a hurdle on its own because it's pretty complex. If employers are aware of this and that they know that this payment is coming, then the argument is that they'll be more likely to keep people on. But the problem is there's no requirement in the legislation for that. Is there anything for sole traders in here? That's a good question. There is. Sole traders are covered by this legislation and it makes really? it clear yeah it makes it clear at paragraph 3.21 of the explanatory memorandum which I'll quote the payments are available to all business and not for profit entities that make eligible payments yes, including so individuals that carry on a business as a sole trader partnerships and trusts as well okay but if the sole trader and the partnership don't employ and just have themselves working in the business then they don't qualify, correct? Yes. And-, and yes, Andrew is right. They don't qualify if they don't make any relevant payment. So a sole trainer and a partnership can qualify for the cash flow boost like any other entity. But if they don't pay any wages or salaries, 
And if they don't make payments to contractors with voluntary withholding, in short, if they don't make any payments that meet the so-called payment test, then they don't qualify. But if they make such a payment, so if they have employees or they do voluntary withholding on contractor payments or something else, then they do qualify. We'll still qualify. They still qualify if they make a payment. And if this payment is less than $10,000, then they just receive the minimum. However, their amount that they will receive is capped at a lower amount. And at what yes. amount? Based on the lower amount of $10,000. So um, twice $10,000. So they yeah. get the minimum of $20,000. The thing that you look at for determining the, the PAYG withholding isn't just salary and wages as well. It's important to note it's a whole cast of things under subdivision 12B, 12C and 12D of the Tax Administration Act. One thing that it does include is certain payments to contractors even that can be that, that you choose to have subject to voluntary withholding arrangements. So in the sole trader example, they could have payments to contractors, for instance, that are they may choose to have um, voluntary withholding arrangements in place and, and have PAYG that way. Can you just quickly walk me through 12B, 12C and 12D? Tax Administration Act. Ah, oh, I see. So TAA. What does it cover? So is 12B the regular pays you got withholding from wages? Yeah, essentially 12B covers most of the usual things. So 12B covers most of uh, what I'd call sort of the usual usual payments. And so wages, salaries, just yeah. employment arrangements. Yeah, it covers payments to employees and it covers other things like for payments to contractors, for example, and also payments to company directors. That's 12B. 12C covers payments for retirement and because of termination of employment. So, for instance, uh, sort of redundancy or termination type payments. And, and 12D is, is a sort of a less common one as well, which covers benefit and compensation payments. So, the reality is for most, for most, most employers, it's, it's go, yeah, it's going yep. to be 12B. Withholding for contractors, is that disclosed in W2 or is that disclosed in W3 or 4? What's W2, um, sorry? W-2 is on the best statement, you know, how oh. you, where you, so W-1 is total salary, wages, and other payments. W-2 mm. is amount withheld from payments shown at W-1. W-4 is amount withheld when no ABN is quoted. Yeah, and W-3 is other amounts withheld, excluding any amount shown at W-2 or W-4. So the question okay. is, does the cash boost just apply to amounts that are shown at W-2 that are withheld from salary, wages, and other payments? Or does it also apply to W-4 or W-3? So W-4 is amount withheld where no ABN is quoted and W-3 is any other amount. I don't think it would cover amounts withheld when, when no ABN is quoted because my understanding is, is that withholding mechanism is quite different than any of the pay-as-you-go withholding mm -hmm. mechanisms. But I think it would cover the other the, the W3, yeah. other amounts withheld. Okay. And so when a sole trader pays a contractor and voluntarily withholds, pays you go withholding, would that amount be shown in W1 and then have it yeah, pays you go be, withholding yeah. unshown under W2? 
it wouldn't it wouldn't go into W four with a voluntary withholding because the ABN is quoted, so it wouldn't go into W four. That's a good question. Uh, I think it would be covered by either W two or or W three. It clearly is covered by the legislation because that withholding for voluntary agreements for contractors is covered in that schedule to twelve uh, B. Good. So that means as long as our sole trader pays the contractor and then withholds, does voluntary withholding and then shows this either in W2 or W3, then they would qualify for the cash boost. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. The cash boost applies to, to a broad range of entities. It's, um, yep, sole traders, as we've talked about, companies, trusts, partnerships. I suppose the only limitation is it doesn't cover partners in partnerships. So if you have a partnership of three people, each of the partners cannot claim the bonus each. So it's only the partnership that that can claim the bonus. Oh, really? And the partnership can only claim it if they register for pay-as-you-go withholding and then do a pay-as-you-go withholding on the partner salary. And then, of course, when they do the partnership tax return, then, of course, that salary is added back to the to the income and then becomes a becomes partnership income, but they can yeah. officially pay themselves a salary. Okay, so that yeah. means partnerships are easy then. Yeah, yeah, partnerships are easier than, than sole traders. Because yeah. a partnership can just register for pay-as-you-go withholding, pay the partners a salary, and then have withholding shown in W-2. So it means the tricky bit is the sole traders. The sole traders basically need to do voluntary withholding of a payment to a contractor and then show that voluntary withholding probably Mm. in W-3 and then Mm. qualify. Yeah, And they need to do that. Today is the 27th of March. So by the time this goes out, Will be the twenty. Officially, it's it's meant to go out on the thirties of March. It needs to happen before the thirties of March because if that payment, although that payment can still happen in in the next quarter, it yeah. just has to happen before the thirties of June, and then they still get at least the minimum. Yeah, it's important to note the assessment period is until thirty June. Obviously. Baz's work on monthly or quarterly basis, so it may be desirable to to have it in, say, the Baz at the end of March, but the period itself is until the end of June. It's important to note also that every entity is entitled to, that qualifies, is entitled to at least $10,000 as well. Twice, so 20,000. Yeah, yeah. So, So that was my next question, Andrew. Yep. No matter how small the entity is, let's say it's just having a turnover of five thousand a year and withholds fifty dollars a year, even or zero, those, yeah, or zero, yeah, yeah. As long as it does pay as you go withholding, so let's say one dollar. It doesn't even need pay as you go withholding. But it needs to be registered for pay as you go withholding, doesn't mm, it? No, nope, no. Nope. And Andrew is right for the uh, payment test. You don't need to be registered for pay-as-you-go withholding. The only thing that matters is that you made a payment that should have been subject to pay-as-you-go withholding, even if that pay-as-you-go withholding amount is zero because the salary, for example, is below the tax-free threshold or similar. Andrew is right that the payment test itself doesn't require a registration for pay-as-you-go withholding. It just means that the payment should have had pay-as-you-go withholding. So that's the payment test. But then, of course, there is the notification test. And that 
test requires that you inform, that you notify the ATO of any pays you go withholding in the approved form. And the approved form, of course, is through a BAS. And that means that you must be registered for pays you go withholding sometime before the 30th of June. But then if you register for pays you go withholding after the 12th of March 2020, then of course there is also the objective purpose test. And that means why did you register for pays you go withholding after the 12th of March? Is there an objective purpose other than qualifying for the cash flow boost? Is there a valid reason, a valid purpose why you did this? So the, the legislation says an entity is entitled to the following amount. It says it's the greater of 10,000 and the entity's withholding period total for the period. In other words, what it does in relation to PAYG. So greater of 10,000 or the PAYG. So if the PAYG is zero and they're not registered for PAYG, it's still 10,000. Yes, 10,000 twice, so 20,000. Yeah, so the way the legislation works and why I keep saying 10,000 is because the legislation breaks the cash flow boosts up into two different payments. So the first one says it's 10 and then the legislation in the second part says, well, you essentially, you get again what you got the first time. Another point I wanted to note is that the income is non, non-exempt, non-assessable income. In other words, it's tax-free. So in the sole trader example, you get 20000 not reportable. Also for, for discretionary trusts, they, they would get that same treatment. The situation is a little bit different with, with unit trusts and companies. And, and as you may know, with companies, if the company gets a benefit, it's not necessarily a benefit for the shareholders because a dividend needs to be paid out so still. So if a company got the benefit, maybe a little bit harder to actually sort of extract that benefit. Oh yeah, that's a very good point. Let's say the only income is the twenty thousand and let's say there are no expenses. I mean of course mm. it won't because they're paying wages or so, but just to in theory, they receive the twenty thousand dollars. There is no franking credit coming with that twenty thousand. Mm. So when they then distribute it, it hits the um marginal tax rate of the shareholder. Yeah, correct. I mean, obviously, if they're paying it out and they actually had PAYG expenditure, then it yeah. would have gone out there anyway. But there still yeah. is a credit to the company. So in yeah, a company but, but situation, right. you, will have a, you have a difference, yeah. So there could be situations where if you've got a company, you'll have a difference in the franking credits and not be able to fully frank dividends in the future. But so in the tax return, you show this under exempt income. Yes, yep. One more yep. question for you, yep. and that is, for us as uh, normal mortals, all this will be done and dusted in a year's time. Mm. But I can imagine you will live with this for quite a while because I can imagine in six, 12 months, do you expect to get busy in six to 12 months or two years with where the ATO is trying to claw back payments? That don't yeah, look, I think it's, I'd hope that people could sort of do the right thing with this and sort of reflecting on, on Bob's comments as well. But I think the reality is there will be a portion of the population, however big it is, that see it as an opportunity to get 
to rightly or wrongly, if I can push the boundaries and get as much as I can, then I'm going to take that opportunity. Similarly, have you seen in the GST industry around refunding input tax credits, similar to R&D claims where people have gotten tax offsets, when the government's giving money out to people, there's a certain portion of the population that's opportunistic that are just going to take full advantage of that to the maximum extent possible. Yes, I think it will. And I just read you an email I received this morning for a webinar. And it said, in today's session, XXX, we won't mention names, mm-hmm. in today's session, XXS will be unveiling a major loophole in the government stimulus package. It will prove to be a game changer for your clients. You can then prove yourself as a great advisor, etc. that can make this funding happen to your clients. But they're promising a major loophole in the government. I haven't listened to the recording yet of the Mm. webinar, but I'm curious to hear what it is. I mean, everything's moving so quickly. We had the announcement, which was a smaller boost to start with, then the second announcement to make it larger. We had legislation which which went through sort of at an unprecedented pace, now got it. And, you know, with you and I, we've, we've identified a few things that were sort of at least unexpected in the package. And now you've got, you know, a situation with a, with a very weak economy, a lot of people that are very heavily affected with, they might see, you know, their eyes light up with this thing. And, and the same with advisors as well. This could be an opportunity to, you know, get some love from clients. We've only got a few months until until the whole thing is done and dusted. And yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting time to see what happens. You might see the ATO putting out tax alerts potentially. We'll, we'll sort of have to wait and see. Welcome back. So to qualify for the minimum cash boost of 20,000 paid out in two lots of 10,000, you need three things. Well, you need seven conditions. You need to meet seven conditions. And in this update, we covered the first three. In the next update, we will cover the other four. One, your turnover must be below 50 million. Two, you need an active ABN, and that is the existence test. And then three, you must have had some activity in 2019. So either a dollar of assessable income or a dollar of taxable supplies or both. That is the activity test. And It doesn't matter whether you registered for pay as you go withholding before or after the 12th of March or... Correct, but you need to register for pay as you go withholding sometime before the 30th of June so that you can report pay as you go withholding in the approved form, which is a BES. And you can only lodge a BES with pay as you go withholding inside. If you are registered for pay as you go withholding, you need to meet the turnover, the existence and the activity test. And then, of course, the other four... The payment test, meaning you must have made a relevant payment. The notification test, which means you must notify the ATO in the approved form, meaning you must lodge a BAS. And then the objective purpose test, meaning it can't look like anti-avoidance. And then, of course, the lodgement test. But we cover those four in the next update. Another big learning for me was that grouping provisions applied to assess your turnover to check whether you're below the 50 million turnover threshold. So if you have several businesses or entities, they're all grouped together to see whether you are below the 50 million. But for the actual cash boost, there are no grouping provisions. So if you run your business through 10 entities and each entity meets the three conditions, then each entity can claim at least the minimum cash boost. So with 10 entities, for example, you're looking at a cash boost of at least 200,000, possibly 1 million. 
as long as all your entities together have a turnover of less than 50 million. We haven't touched on the actual mechanics of the cash boost payment, so let me quickly add this. The cash boost goes into your ATO integrated client account and so covers any outstanding debts you have and any excess, any refund balance after that. You can request to be paid out to you. So if you have a large outstanding debt with the ATO, you probably won't see a single cent arriving in your pockets, but at least your debt will have gone down. But if you're up to date with best payments and income tax payments so far, then you will see some cash. And now let's talk about this major loophole mentioned in the webinar invitation I received. I listened to the webinar. It went for over an hour. They took a long time to get to the point and kept covering their backs in case this gets back to the ATO, I assume. But here's what they said. I'm just quoting not word for word, because they took a long time. I'm just quoting what they said. So let me just put what they said into five steps. Five steps to maximize a cash boost to go beyond the minimum of 20,000 to and the maximum of 100,000. Step number one, and all this sounds very harsh now. Step number one, if you don't need your staff while you're closed down, let them go. The cash boost includes no incentive to keep your staff if you don't need them. They didn't touch on fair work, but if your business is shut down and you can't operate, then staff positions are probably redundant. Number two, since you have no staff left, since you let them go, you need to step up. You need to work more to keep the lights on. And for that, you need to pay yourself a salary with pay-as-you-go withholding. So instead of paying yourself dividends or Division 7A loan, Clean that up and pay it as a salary with a withholding of up to 50,000. 50,000 is the cap, so any salary with a withholding that takes you over 50,000 will not change your cash boost. And again, I'm just quoting what they said. I'm not saying you should do this. Step number three. If you are a monthly withholder, then time is of essence. Of course, you have until June to get to the 50,000 withholding, but if you can still do it today or tomorrow, being the 30th or 31st of March, so if you can still do it by the 31st of March, then that amount gets tripled. So a pay-as-you-go withholding in March of, let's say, 10,000 will give you a cash boost of 30,000, while a pay-as-you-go withholding of 10,000 in, let's say, April, so on Wednesday, will only give you a cash boost of 10,000, always assuming that you're still below the 50,000 cap. But all this only applies to monthly withholders. For quarterly withholders, you have until June. But of course, the quicker you act, the more legitimate it is or looks. I'm just quoting. Step number four, do this properly. So report your salary through STP, pay the relevant super on time, let work cover know, and so on. And then step number five, keep going. Don't just pay yourself until June, but keep going. When your staff comes back, when all this is over, you probably need it less in your business and so your salary will go down again, but continue paying yourself some wage or salary. So that's what they were saying in long ramblings of over an hour. And of course, they were very conscious of the anti-avoidance provisions included in the Cash Boost Act. But 
their argument was that, of course, your salary that's now coming in has nothing to do with the cash boost. You're just working more since your staff is gone and hence you're getting a salary. That's what they were saying. But of course, that webinar was on the 27th of March and that is like a lifetime ago for all of us. When the legislation first came out, there was a lot of confusion we made a mistake when it came to the payment test. They probably made, they probably kind of underestimated the anti-avoidance provisions a little bit. So I think everything that was said back then needs to be taken with a, what is the saying, with a grain of salt, I think. So I think the attitude has changed quite a bit with respect to, with respect to trying to game the system. So these are my five cents words. We will do more updates as the situation develops. Tomorrow we will do a regular episode so that we slowly make some progress on that front as well. So tomorrow in episode 237, Melissa Donnelly will finally talk to you about marketing strategy and its execution. And maybe you noticed I finally got the voiceover at the start changed. Is it okay? Let me know what you think. Thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you tomorrow. I can imagine this is a moving target and I can imagine more insights or more yeah. issues will come up as we work on this. Yeah, I, I, I think there will be. Um, I think it'll be an interesting one to chat about sort of every week and there might even be a new stimulus package by then as well. I mean, who knows? Yeah, but it's, it's, it's remarkable just... Um, how much cash they're just splashing yeah it's really really interesting we will start paying the bills soon yeah well one other thing people have suggested is sort of giving bonuses to staff as well in other words sort of upping their salaries before the 30th of the, june before the 30th of june and then cutting them back afterwards as well to boost your cash boost to maximize the, the cash boost yeah